Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Isn't it true that sometimes the people that you're closest to are the people that give you the most pushback in your lives? And as parents, we have to do that with kids. I got, I got some kids, man, they like to come downstairs and sit on the couch and just stare for a while. And if I don't do something, they're going to, they'll just like sit there and stare for a while, like all day. My daughter, Finley, she is, she's like seven years old, but she's still, so she has her, her favorite blanket that's really small. And so she still is, has this way of being able to crawl into just this little tiny blanket and she gets on our one chair in the morning. She wakes up. She comes down to fall asleep on our little chair that, like, it's this seven-year-old just like, you're so small. It's uh, so cute. Ah. But at some point, you got to be like, hey, child, wake up. You got to get up and do something today. And maybe what's hardest is when we find people close to us actually discouraging us in our dreams. I had a dream one day when I was little, when I was younger, <laughs> still little, when I was younger. I, by the way, I loved the white back, back screen on that loop video because you can't tell that I'm small on that one. It's great. But I, I had this dream of playing NBA basketball. Like, like just about any kid growing up, they want to be an NBA player, NFL, whatever. And my, my parents understood my genetic makeup. And they'd be like, oh, Kellen, that's great. You keep working on it. Don't forget your schoolwork, though. <laughs> Have a feeling it's going to come in handy for you. Um, so my parents didn't discourage dreams, but they also knew the reality. But without a doubt, one of the, one of the moments in my life that I think back on, and, and it could have been a dream killer, um, it happened when I was a senior in high school. And besides wanting to be an NBA basketball player, I also, like, from the time I was about four years old on, I, I wanted to be a pastor. And there came a point where maybe around middle school, I was like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to tell people that I want to be a pastor. Maybe I just want to be a pastor because that's what my dad is. And I was going through all this kind of stuff and stopped telling people that that's what I wanted to be. And then, uh, I don't know, somewhere around sophomore year of high school, I started to tell people, yeah, I think I want to be a pastor. And I was amazed at the reaction that most people gave. Like, oh, that's cool. Instead of like, oh, you're in an AP college English class. I threw that in there so that you knew I was in an AP college English. Knew each other. And my friend who I was, I was friends with this girl, like, okay, we knew each other since kindergarten. We went all through school together. Her name was Annie, good friend. Uh, she looked at me and she's like, I just can't see you being a pastor. And I was like, oh, that kind of hurt. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know exactly what she meant by it. Um, but I know what happened in my brain. It was every insecurity that had ever come into my brain up to that point. Like, you are not a nice enough person to be a pastor. Go ahead and let people who do life better than you be pastor. Like, all these insecurities just came flooding in because one 18-year-old girl told me in a college English class, hey, I don't see it. That can be tough. Now, being honest about it, I don't deserve the position of being a preacher. Nobody deserves that. It's only by the grace of God that he puts anybody into positions of leadership. Really, I don't think any of us deserve to be parents. 
We're so messed up in so many ways, and God, by His grace, allows us the opportunity to be able to be parents. We don't deserve positions of leadership in our workplaces because we've messed up in leadership so much of the time. But by God's grace, He gives us the opportunity time and time again to do something that maybe we don't deserve. And I wonder if there aren't things that you've been talked out of doing that you were meant to do in your life. I wonder if you haven't heard one comment from someone close to you, or maybe not even, maybe they weren't even all that close to you, but that one comment that made you not something out there that God wants you to be doing, but you've shied away from it because someone said that one thing that made you think about your shortcomings rather than making you think about what is God's plan for my life. If I asked you to raise your hand here, if that's ever been you, I'm, I'm guessing just about every hand would go up. We've... We've missed out on what God wants us to do because we're afraid. And today we're going to look at a passage that I think shows us that we're not, we're not really alone. I think, I think even Jesus, the, the real Jesus that we study in Scripture, he had people in his life who spoke things to him that could have easily kept him from doing what his, the call in his life was to do. You know, we think about Jesus and we're like, oh man, I just assume everything is just easy for Jesus. He's like, he's Jesus. People say things to him and he doesn't have, he wouldn't have any issues with insecurities or identity stuff. It was his destiny to do what he did. But I don't think that it was always as easy as what we assume. What did Jesus do that kept him from, uh, that kept him going after the thing that, that he was put on this earth to go after? What allowed him to fight through obstacles so that he would get, get to the point where at the end of his life he would actually make himself to be a sacrifice for us. And so that's what we're going to look at in this story today. And so before we look into the actual passage, why don't we just say a quick word of prayer and then we'll get into that. Lord, uh, I pray that as we go through this passage today, I ask that you'd help us to, to have an understanding of the way that you want us to. Um, just give us direction, give us insight. God, we thank you for your word and that it teaches us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's a little bit of a longer passage, so dig in here for a minute and let's listen to it. Mark 8, starting verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, um, along with the, his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be mine is their life for me, and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. <clears throat> All right, now we've been taking big passages of, of Scripture in this Mark series. There's like 12 sermons that you could, you could throw out of this one, okay? 
I'm going to try to make this into one sermon for you. Now, it might be a little bit like a point here, a point there. Hopefully at the end it all kind of comes together. But Jesus has just walked into this region called Caesarea Philippi. And this place is a place that makes the disciples uncomfortable. They, don't, they do not like going into this city. The disciples would have been incredibly uncomfortable here. It's a city that was located at the base of a place called Mount Hermon. And it was originally called Peneus in honor of the Roman god Pan. And so what this place is, is this is a place where all kinds of different gods are worshipped and served. And, and it's, for, for some Jewish boys coming into this town, super uncomfortable. And here's what actually our, our, our lead pastor, David Clark, he puts it this way. For these, for these disciples to walk into Caesarea Philippi, it would be like you or I walking into a strip club. That's how uncomfortable, hopefully it makes us uncomfortable, okay? That's how uncomfortable it would make us. It's just, a, it, it feels wrong for them to be here. And then what happens is, so they're, they're uncomfortable, and Jesus does something to make them even more uncomfortable. He actually asks them a question. Now, if you're a parent, you know a little bit what it can be like to ask a kid a question. You ask your kid a question, and, and it's like, what are you asking me a question for? Don't talk to me. Oh, you're just the worst ever. Stop it. Now, if they're not old enough yet to say that, or maybe they're old enough that they realize they shouldn't, you get the looks. They don't, they don't have to say, I don't want you asking me questions. The question comes and they're like, oh, just that. I did that to my mom way too many times, I know. And you probably did that a little bit. Getting asked questions can be hard, but here's what made it really hard. Jesus is a rabbi rabbis actually didn't do the question asking. It was the, the disciples that would actually ask the rabbi questions. And so when Jesus asked them a question, already, they're, so they're already in a place that feels uncomfortable to them. And now Jesus is asking them a question, and they're like, oh man. This is in verse 27. He says, who do people say I am? And I want you to listen to what their response is. They reply to Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah. Now those are those are two heavy dudes in the Bible. Elijah, Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist, the guy who, who kind of paved the way for Jesus in the New Testament. And then still others say that you're one of the prophets. Now what do all these responses have in common? They are totally inadequate responses about who Jesus is. He's saying, who do people say I am? And, and the idea that most people have of who Jesus is, is completely off base. They don't get it. They don't get who Jesus is. He's so much more than what they think. And so what he then does is he turns the question around a little bit. He, he turns the question on to them. And he says, who do you say that I am? And, and if you know much about, uh, about some of the, the ways that the Bible's written, any time that there is a, a word that's repeated twice— it means that there's like this heavy emphasis on it. And you notice here, Mark says that Jesus actually asked these guys two different times, who do, who do you say I am? Who is it that you think that I am? And so he really, really wants, wants to know, okay, you are my best friends. You're the guys who know me the most. We're the most, I'm most intimate with you than I am with anybody else. Who do you actually say that I am? And the answer was, it was actually pretty awesome. Uh, Peter turns around and he's like, you're the Messiah. It's exactly what Jesus wanted him to say. 
He was hoping that the people who knew him the most would actually understand who he is the most. I know for me, I've had to come to the point where, in my life, where I just don't, I try not to care too much about what other people think about me. If they're kind of outside of that super, super close circle. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that, that no, that's not what I do. But there's a point where some people just ain't going to like you. We've all experienced that. Um, and what Jesus is trying to figure out, he's not so worried in, in this moment, what does everybody else think about me? What do you think about me? What are the people that are closest to me? What do you really think about me? Some people will take one thing that you do on a bad day. They're going to extrapolate that to be, that's who that person is 24-7, all the time. But you see, the people who know you the best, they see you in the worst of your times. They know that you aren't defined by your worst moment. But they also know that you may not be defined by your best moments either. Uh, Usually we're somewhere in the middle. Um, and so I think before we move on, there's a question that, that I think we need to consider here. Two questions. Well, actually, yeah, one question. It's this. If your closest friends were asked to share a word or two that best describes you, what might they say? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Anytime that somebody asks me to think about something like that, my thoughts are like, oh, I hate that question. Because I don't want to know, I don't think, what they always think about me. That's a tough question to think about. What is the people that know you most? What do they actually think about you? <clears throat> if I'm going to be honest, there are moments in my life where, where I am on my best display amongst strangers. Uh, some people, maybe, maybe you're on a better display around strangers. Maybe you're on a worse display around strangers. For me, I think a lot of times it's, okay, this is, this is the better Kellen when I'm around people that don't know me so well. I just walked out of the car mad at my kids because they didn't let me listen to the podcast I wanted to. And I had to listen to Encanta music. I'm sorry. I, you might like that Disney movie. I don't like it. It's just not my thing. My kids want, put Encanta on. No. I'll listen to a podcast. Dad, the guy you listen to, he's got a squeaky voice. I don't care. Encanta's not great music. Sorry, people who wrote the music for Encanta are listening to this. I'm sorry. Um, but then there are moments in my life where the worst of me is displayed around strangers. You know, you hear me joking around uh, and not understanding the context of the way that I do that. And, and oh, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. They see a facial expression that tells a thousand words without me speaking a word. Sometimes those facial expressions aren't what, what I'm hoping for. And so they miss the good that, that is maybe in here, but all the other things are all too loud for them to see and to hear, and so they don't, they don't see that thing in me that, that maybe I want them to. So again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about what strangers think about us, what the people who don't really know us well think about us. And by all means, I think as followers of Jesus, we have to work hard to be to be the light of Jesus to everybody around us. But also I think that we should care more about what that, what that inner core that we have around us is, what they see our deep inner core as being. I care a lot more about when my wife tells me, here's what I see in your character, than somebody that I don't know. She absolutely knows. She sees the bigger picture of who I am all the time. 
And the truth is, there are going to be times where everybody on the outside is going to think I'm great. And maybe I'm making a room full of people laugh. And my wife is seeing a little bit of, oh, I see the damage in my, my husband right now. And it hurts me. That person close to you sees deep inside. But then there's times where everybody might misread everything that I do. And I can't seem to say or do or think anything right. But then that person who knows me best, they get it. They see what's, what's deep inside there. So right now, what do your closest friends have to say about you and your character? I think maybe a great exercise would be to go to the people that you know the most this week. It could be children. I'm telling you what, I don't even want to ask my kids these questions I'm about to ask this week. I don't want to know sometimes what they see. in the. Because here's the thing. The people that are closest to us, man, they see the, they do, they see the best in us. But they see the worst in us too. They see it all. But maybe you need to ask your kids these questions or your, your spouse these questions or your best friend. The questions look like this. What are one or two words that best describe me? But then this is isn't you see in me that others don't. There's, there's plenty of good that's in you that nobody else is seeing, but there's, there's also these little tiny warning signs that we have in, our, in our, the outflow of our character that only the people closest to us know. And sometimes we're never going to get the, to the root issue there unless we're willing to ask those people because it's scary to ask them because we know they know. But I think it's important for us to get to the bottom of it. So, Jesus said, who do you say I am to his best friends? I think another question as we're looking at this, this part of the passage is, who do you actually say that Jesus is? It is really easy in our world today to have inadequate views of who Jesus is. Uh, people have it about us, like we've been talking about, but it's even, for somebody who has grown up in the church, who's lived my whole life in the church, who I think has had people around me who, who teach the gospel in amazing ways, and I understand what the gospel actually looks like, there are so many times where all of a sudden I realize I have a completely inadequate view of who Jesus is. And when I have an inadequate view of who Jesus is, what happens is I start to think about myself in inadequate ways as well. Because if I'm not seeing the grace that Jesus has for me, I don't see myself in light of that grace. And that changes the way, the way that I view things in, in a right context. <clears throat> Maybe you've got a view that, that Jesus is an important voice in your life, but he's not the important voice in your life. Maybe you've got the view that you actually can gain the whole world and also gain Jesus. It's an inadequate view. Maybe you've got the view that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. Maybe you've got this inaccurate view that Jesus is more anger than he is grace. Whatever your inaccurate view of Jesus is, it is going to skew how you live your life following Jesus. And it's going to mess it up some way. And so the truth is, we always have to battle these. We see him perfectly well until we see him face to face. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. When I get to see Jesus, I'll know fully, even as I am fully known. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for he sh we shall see him as he is. If right now you're sitting here going, I just don't think I have inadequate views of Jesus. I get it completely. Um, you don't. 
until we see Jesus face to face, we are constantly going to be having to, to understand him more. Wake up tomorrow and go, okay, Jesus, how do I need to see you a little bit more clearly? How do I need to know you a little bit more clearly? Because we all have to figure it out. All right. <clears throat> I want to add this. Knowing and understanding Jesus intimately takes constant growth in a relationship. It takes constant growth in a relationship with Jesus to actually know him more. See, with my wife, if we're, there, there's weeks. We've been married, it'll be 20 years in August. And so there are weeks where it's like, the, we're doing all kinds of stuff with the kids. We barely have any time to really talk and communicate until about 10.30 at night. And then we just want to die in our bed. And so it's like, do, at the end of the week, some weeks, it's like, do I even know you anymore? I don't even, I miss you. Um, I know her still, but you know, it, it's tough sometimes. And what happens is, as we are in a relationship with another human being, we're both moving in different places. We're moving one way or another way, and if we're not moving together, a relationship's never going to stay stagnant. All that's going to happen is you're either going to move together and grow closer, or you're going to start to move apart. That is human nature. And so stag being stagnant, staying in one place in a relationship, doesn't happen. And I want to say, I think that's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus. Now some of you might be like, well, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't have to really do anything in my relationship with Jesus is going to stay the same because he's always staying the same. But we forget ourselves in the equation. I am always moving somewhere. And if I am not moving with Jesus, guess where I'm moving? I'm, I'm moving away from Jesus. There's no such thing as stagnancy in a relationship with Jesus. There is either we are moving closer or we're moving apart. And we have to understand this. So am I knowing Jesus more today than I did yesterday? If not, then I've moved away. And I need to, I need to come back. I need to come back. I need to... Now we literally just read here in this passage um, <laughs> that Peter believes Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. That's what he said in this, in this passage. He figured out the real identity of Jesus. He's walking with Jesus. He gets him. He knows exactly who he is. He figured it out before anybody else figured it out. But then we get to this thing in Mark 8, the next chapter. We read it already, but I'm going to read it again. He says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside, and began to rebuke him. There are so many times I read through the Bible, and I just, every time, like, you disciples, you just are not good at this. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Like, that doesn't seem smart, right? There are times where we open our mouths and we say things, and it's not smart. This is one of them. It reminds me, actually, one time I went to the Mall of America. I took a youth group to the Mall of America. And this is kind of around the beginning part of the times where they were not letting kids walk around without an adult anymore. And so you had to have a chaperone with you. And I've, I'm walking around with like 10 junior high and early in my 20s, somewhere in my 20s. And the mall cop starts getting on these kids. You guys need to be here with an adult. Where is your adult? And they all start snickering. That's <laughs> so annoying. And they're pointing, this guy. And every time the mall... Mall cop's like, no, really. I'm like, mall cop, 
you better stop being that. I'm, I'm, I'm about to get in real trouble with you if you don't stop. This guy just didn't see it. And he put his foot in his mouth. And I was like, uh, actually, do I need to show you my license? I don't know. I actually got carded that same day in a, a store called Brookstone because I was sitting in, a, in a, a massage chair and you had to be 18 to sit in it. And I got carded for sitting in a massage chair, people. Man, it's crazy. Why would Peter do this? Why would he put his foot in his mouth like this? Literally, right after he announces that Jesus is the Christ, he decides, okay, you might be the Messiah, but you don't know enough of what you're talking about right now. You are saying you're going to die. I don't like it. Just because Peter believes that Jesus is the Messiah doesn't mean that he has fully bought in and fully understands what that means. He's saying to Jesus, why would you talk like this? Why would you say that you're going to die? Why would you leave us? There's a point in the chronological order of the, the Gospels uh, where later, uh, earlier on from this, actually no, it was later on I think, Jesus told the disciples in the book of John, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a peace, but I'm going to go away. And all these guys were like, no, you can't leave us. You can't leave us. We're, we're, we're going to be crushed. We're going to be broken. And Peter's got the same thing going on here. He's like, Jesus, I just, I just don't want you to leave. And Peter's not unique in his anxiety about how Jesus was planning to make things happen here. Don't we rebuke God sometimes? We rebuke God in our own ways. We may not be as bold with it. But I look at Peter and I'm like, he's pulling Jesus aside and rebuking him. And then I look at him and I go, okay, maybe I didn't pull Jesus aside and rebuked him, but man, I've told him no a lot of times. Man, he's told me something, and I'm like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, God. Every time I lash out at somebody, I'm rebuking God in the situation. I'm saying that that situation's too far outside your plan for you to be able to fix it. No matter what it looks like, I'm, I'm not trusting you, God. Every time that I have doubt or I have worry creep into my heart, I am sort of rebuking God that he just doesn't know what he's doing. I think that we'd like to think that we're different than Peter is. But the truth is, is we're not. That's why these stories are in the Bible. It's showing us a little bit of who we are. We'd like to think that we claim Jesus as the Messiah and, that, and that's it. We'd like to think that we come in here to church and we sing worship songs and, and we give all of our glory to God and we, we trust in who he is and that we don't walk out the door and start doubting and denying the minute that we walk out there. But it is a part of the human nature that we, that we live in. Are there things that you find yourself holding resentment towards God about? If you're really, are you questioning Jesus and rebuking him as if you know what is best all the time. See, this is, a, this is a human condition that we have. And when it comes to real sacrifice, these are trust issues that we have with God. But I want to I step out on a limb and I want to say that it's more than just trust issues that we have with Jesus. What I think we actually have going on here is we have a perspective issue. We do not keep good perspective. Not like God keeps perspective anyhow. Perspective is what Peter lost here. And he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But the scope of what that meant was really small to him. Let me read this from verse 33 on. It says, When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. 
He said, get behind me, Satan. I don't want Jesus saying that to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with the disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Can I tell you, it felt so good when I got to show that mall cop my license. And he was like, oh, all right, I guess you're old enough. There was something that felt so good about it. Uh, but there's no way that he felt as stupid as Peter felt in this situation. Peter had to feel stupid. Jesus called him Satan. I don't, I don't know about you, but that seems a little harsh. Jesus, why are you calling him Satan? Why was he so harsh? Here's what I want you to see. We have to see that when we don't have God's perspective on situations in life, the perspective that we default to is going to be one that benefits the desires of the enemy of God. Of God, when I'm not looking at things, it sounds harsh even saying that. But when I don't have the perspective of God, when I'm not looking at things from the bigger picture, I am going to naturally default to the things that the enemy is trying to get me to go after. That's why I say we have a perspective issue. And worship team, I think you're kind of making your way. for Jesus was dying on a cross. That was Jesus' mission in life. It wasn't to get a big following. Did you realize in verse 30, after Peter said to Jesus, we see you as the Messiah, what did he say then? He said, don't go tell anybody. Do you realize that Jesus, now in, in our church world today, it's unconscionable that, we, that Jesus would say, don't go tell anybody. Because all we're about is go tell everybody. But that's because Jesus changed things. Once he died and he rose from the dead. Before that, the mission was all about the sacrifice. It was all about going to the cross. It was all about going to the cross, rise from the dead, and then Matthew 28, 19 comes in. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples. That's our job. His job. His job was the mission. And the mission was the sacrifice. It was all about the sacrifice. In what human endeavor is death considered a success? There is nowhere where death is considered a success except with Jesus. So if you want to know the real Jesus today, it means knowing what real sacrifice looks like. The real Jesus is all about real sacrifice. That was his mission. But it also know, means knowing that his perspective on sacrifice is going to be different than what your human perspective on sacrifice looks like. From a bigger perspective, focusing on our desires, focusing on our possessions, focusing on our careers, all those things don't measure up in comparison to laying our lives down for the sake of the good news. I love at the end of this, Jesus is talking about if you want to save your lives, what do you do? You give it up. It's completely backward from the way we think in this world. And it, it means a perspective change. So here's what I want you to understand this morning. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with an encouragement that, of a rebuke that Jesus gives, I think, here in this, in this passage. I'm not going to leave you with the rebuke of get behind me, Satan. That's a weird way to finish off a, a sermon and have, have you guys leave, okay? I'm not going to call you Satan. But I will say this. 
What Jesus says here is so important. He says, of God, not merely personal concerns. Jesus was to sacrifice his life. But the disciples were also put in a position where they were being called to sacrifice, to give up their lives. And there's no way around it. Following Jesus requires looking at the world from a bigger perspective than from our own personal perspective. Today, I want us to ask God to change our perspective. Lord, how am I looking at things in a way that is totally about me and not about you? There is nothing in this world that I should be looking at based on my needs and my wants and and my perception. As followers of Jesus, he's asking us, man, just look look at life the way that I'm looking at it. God's dreams for us might look different than our own dreams, but I'm telling you, his dreams are so much better. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.